Uh, we will be continuing in 2 Corinthians this morning. We will be finishing 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Lord willing. And we're looking at a little section in which Paul is once again proclaiming his ministry and, and essentially boasting about his ministry. And we want to look at that because we know boasting is generally considered bad. Here, the boasting is uh, centered on a particular point, on verse 15b, I'll call it, uh, about the, their growth in the gospel, their growth in their faith, that the gospel may spread beyond them, through them, because of them. And this is really talking about the power of a mature church. The mature church is a church that is expanding the kingdom of God in their lives, yes, but in their communities and beyond to the world. And that's what Paul's really hoping for, looking for, and moving them towards, as he has all his churches. And one of the things, of course, they've been struggling with mightily as we've been going through the book of 2 Corinthians is you know, knowing who to listen to, who to follow, who's teaching to follow, and who not to listen to and to prevent their teaching. They were having lots of schisms and divisions over man following. And so they needed to know who to help and who not to help, who to cooperate with, who not to cooperate with. The Apostle John, the Apostle of Love, had this same problem when we look in his epistles. In 2 John verses one, or chapter 1, verse 8 through 11, he says, Watch yourselves that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have Christ, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching is both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, John was having the same problem with these teachers who want to you know, raise themselves up and be the center of the church instead of Christ. And on the other hand, he has a problem with those who don't want to receive real teachers, biblical teachers, godly teachers. In 3 John, verses 9 and 10, he says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he was doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers and stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So this, this battle is going on in their day, and to some extent it still goes on in our day, although we're much more accepting, like the Corinthians were, of people who teach contrary ideas to Scripture and to the biblical teaching. In the verses we're looking at, 13 through 18, we have one of those little mini chiasms. Remember, a chiasm, key was the letter X in Greek, and you have an outer idea, an inner idea, and it can go down many levels until you get to the core. The innermost one is the core. And the outer ideas mirror each other somehow. And in this passage, it's talking about boasting, two different aspects of boasting, and then the core idea about the church and its growth. So I'm going to unpack it in that manner rather than do a chiasm, which Westerners don't really think in that manner. And we'll look at Paul's boasting, what Paul is boasting about, and then get to the spiritual growth of the church. So let us read. We're going to read, oops, I know I wrote this down somewhere. Oh, there it is. 10, 13 through 11, 15. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 13. seem to have had an avalanche. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only in the regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us, to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limits in the labors of others, but our hope is that your, as your faith increases, 
our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of a work already done in another's area of influence. Let those who boast, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. I wish you would bear with me for a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present yourself as a pure virgin to Christ. And I'm afraid as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if anyone comes to you and declares another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily. Indeed, I consider that I am not the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and when I was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need so that I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in, a, in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the region of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. What I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim in their boasted mission that they work on the same terms we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of God. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we see and experience the trials of Paul in his ministries to the nations, to the Gentiles, and especially with his interactions with the Corinthians, we pray that you would open our minds that we might understand these things, open our hearts that we might take them in, and that our lives might be transformed in the way we think and the way we act, and the way we love you and your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we'll start off here in verse 13 of chapter 10 with Paul doing a little boasting. He says, we don't boast beyond limits. Paul's opponents seem to be boasting beyond their limits. They seem to be basically trying to claim his work. I remember in Cambodia, I found out the false pastor who had originally been assigned to the church in the community I was working in. He had had to leave four years earlier because of allegations of sexual immorality and financial misconduct. The man who built the church, a German pastor, was still paying for the ministry. And I found out in the 10 years that I was there, more than 10 years that I was there at the church, he was taking credit for my ministry and getting financial support from this German guy, even though he had not been there in those years. And of course, the German guy made a visit to the country and this false pastor had to really try and maneuver things properly to avoid meeting him meeting me <laughs> and avoid anyone being able to translate for the people in the village. It was sad, but these people seem to be trying to take credit for Paul's work, trying to take credit for the church, for get the people there to follow them as if they were the, the apostles, super apostles who brought them the truth in, to Christ. And Paul's claim is that he is the one who brought it there. And Paul 
is trying to show his love for them and their support of, support of their faith by demonstrating to them that they, they raised their support from other churches. They earned money by tent making. They didn't burden them like these people are doing. These people are in it peddling the word for the money they can get out of it. So their boasting over Paul, he said, was no good. As to their boasting, we read about in the Bible this kind of boasting many times. Like clouds and wind without rain as a man who boasts in the gift he does not give. Proverbs 25, 14. You say, oh, I'm going to do these wonderful things for the church, but it never comes about. It's like, oh, we've got wind and clouds. It's going to rain. It'll be good for the crops. And then it never rains. They're like that. Of course, these are people who are boasting in a gift they didn't give that somebody else did. Boasting in Paul's gift to them of the gospel. We know of this kind of boastful person that Psalm 5 says, verse 4 through 6, you're not a, that you're not a God who delights in wickedness, nor may evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. I think that applies well to Paul's opponents, these false apostles that he's fighting in Corinth that are telling lies and deceptions and trash-talking him and trying to lead people astray from God to be their followers and their financial supporters. Psalm 34, on the other hand, starts off with the words, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually on my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That is more the boasting of Paul in the work of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord, the visible transformation in the people's lives brought about by the Lord. As to these false apostles, these super apostles, Paul is fairly gentle at this point. He does call them false apostles in the next chapter. I think Jude, we studied the book of Jude a couple of years ago. Jude is pretty clear on his thoughts on these people. He says, woe to them. They've walked in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perish in Korah's rebellion. That would be these people. They're they're interested in the money and the power and the glory for themselves. They care nothing for God and his people. Jude goes on to say they are hidden reefs at your love feasts. They feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding only themselves, waterless clouds slept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars from gloom and utter darkness has been reserved for other. Jude 1, 11 through 13. Jude goes on to say these, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. I think that could easily all be applied to what's going on in Corinth. These men trying to usurp the work of God done through Paul for their own gain, for their profit, it seems to be, as we read through 2 Corinthians, and for their own glory. These people were portraying themselves as super apostles and the, who were somehow above Paul, Paul the apostle appointed by God to the Gentiles, the apostles of the Gentiles, as he speaks of in chapter 11. And it, their boasting was not good. They were con- commending themselves after the tradition of the Greek and Roman philosophers in order to gain followers. They were portraying themselves as being so great Whereas Paul is willing to tell them, I came to you, you know, with fear and trembling, deciding to know nothing but Christ. He says, well, I am not skilled in speaking. It is not so with knowledge. He had the knowledge of God through the Spirit, which he was sharing to them. And that was what he would boast in, the knowledge of God, not in himself. He warns them in verse 18 the one who commends, it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Perhaps referring back to verse 12, where he says, I dare not classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. 
But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Uh, they were boasting in their superior speaking skills to Paul. They were boasting in their superior wealth to Paul because the church was giving them lots of money and the people were giving them lots of money. Now, their, their superior popularity and the superior popularity of their you know, modified Christian message, one that was palatable to unbelievers. And you know, they are boasting in all of these things. But Paul is saying, I, I will not boast beyond proper limits. And what limits were, are in mind, perhaps? Limits of the ministry he had actually done. He's not boasting in anybody else's work. Is the divinely appointed to the apostle to the Gentiles, which he calls himself in Romans 11:13. Paul was ministering to the Gentile, and he himself had been instrumental in their salvation through the word and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he can remind them in the beginning of the book, back in chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 of 2 Corinthians, that he doesn't need a letter of introduction or a letter of recommendation like these false apostles. He writes them, you yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Remember, we talked about how that was taking out their heart of stone and putting in that heart of flesh, putting the spirit of God within them and causing them to then walk according to God's statutes. Now, that being born again is something God does, the Holy Spirit does. And it was done through the ministry of Paul. And Paul is saying that was, that's, that's what we boast in. That's what we are delighted in. And that's what testifies to who is the true ministers of God. Not that he did it with his own power, but it is the power of the Holy Spirit which transforms. And so he is willing to boast, but he boasts in that, their conversion. Of course, one of the other limits, of course, of his boasting is in the sound doctrine. He says early in the book, we do not peddle God's word for profit. Soft peddling God's word has become so common today that even in believing churches with believing pastors and believing sessions, it's hard to find a church that isn't soft peddling the word, that won't avoid certain topics because people are not ready for that. They need to hear what they hear. We've talked about how Paul... When he spoke to the Pharisees, the Jew, unbelieving, hard-hearted Jews who believe they saved themselves, preaches Christ, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. When he's in the area filled with uh, idolatry and people have all the idols in their house, he preaches against idolatry, both of which led to him being flogged and stoned and driven from town to town. But he did what, that because the, you have to give them the whole counsel of God. They have to know what they need to repent of to be able to walk with God. Otherwise, they still walk in darkness, and if they're walking in darkness, they cannot walk with Christ or with God. So he preached the whole truth to them. He was limited by the truth in both ways. He couldn't go beyond it, and he couldn't cut it short. No soft peddling, no, no modifying, no correcting, no tampering with it, as he says in this letter. And of course, the limits of what he had already done in saving their souls, which I spoke about a moment ago. He says, according to the grace given to me, like a master builder, I've laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He was not the foundation. He was just the one who laid the foundation of Christ. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one have done. And if anyone's work is built up, is burned up, he will suffer loss. Now, he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And it is important in his mind that he is building, laying a proper foundation and he is building and others are building on that foundation. But they must build on that foundation rightly. 
And he says in verse 17, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's what Paul has been doing. Boasting not in himself, in his greatness, his superiority, but in the work of God and in the Lord's grace. Not in himself, not in his outward circumstances of life. Right? They were boasting perhaps of their wealth and their ability to claim much money from the people. Paul never took any. Not boasting in the wisdom of his mind, his skill with debate, his skill with public speaking, his expertise in rhetoric, and the philosopher, like the philosophers he's opposing were, they were boasting in that. He was not doing any of that. Paul never boasted in his own righteousness. He shared his, about his own sin and his struggle with sin. The least of the apostles, the worst of sinners. He did not really boast in his labor and his services, but in the glory of Christ, whereas they were boastful of, you know, come follow me, look what I have done. We see that a lot today. Look at the church I have built. Look at the followers who have come to me. Come to my church and follow me. I actually heard a Christian once, when corrected by a pastor, the wrong beliefs some popular preacher had, uh, who, you know, they're confronting the pastor about that. And I said to the pastor, well, look at what you have, this small church, and look at what he has, you know, 15,000. Who should I follow? And that's the kind of men these were. They wanted to be followed because they had a popular message that appealed to everyone. Paul never boasted in that. He didn't boast in his pride for himself as they did. The applause of others he never boasted in. But in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ as the author of all that he had and all that he had done. He was an enemy of God and did not deserve to be saved or made an apostle. That was his position and God had chosen to forgive him, to call him, to assign him this task and to give him success in the task. And so Paul boasted within limits, but what was he boasting about? See that in verse 15 and 16, the end of 15 and the beginning of 16. Strange verse divisions here. I think our sentence order in the ESV is very good where the periods go and the commas go. It's better. Our hope is that your faith increases. That's his hope. That's what he's boasting about, his desire. And for what purpose? He goes on to say that our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. In other words, that the whole church may be following the truths that we teach and the goals that we set and be with us together like fellow laborers. Enlarged locally that we may then preach the gospel to lands beyond you. Paul was boasting about his joy, his desire to see the kingdom of God advanced and not just advanced by him, but advanced by the Corinthians, that they would be able to bring the gospel to the world with him, be co-laborers in Christ, and that Christ's name might be glorified through that partnership he had with them. As their faith grew and their love for Christ grew and their love for his kingdom grew, so would their love for the faithful workers grow. And so would their turning away from unfaithful workers. And in that manner, Paul's influence amongst them would grow because he was an honest, faithful worker. He did not soft-pedal the word. He did not change the word in other ways or corrupt the word to make it desirable and, or easy or safe. He preached the whole counsel of God, and as they matured in their faith, they would have greater and greater love for that preaching and teaching. And having that greater love for those things would expand his influence and allow him to go farther. They would also then turn away from these schismatics who were dividing the church in various ways, hoping to get their own piece of the pie for themselves. So the, this growth in faith was really Paul's desire for them. He wrote to the Philippians, I thank my God and remember you always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1, 3 through 6. And again, in chapter 4, verse 15 through 17, the Philippians, you Philippians know yourselves that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even the Thessalonican, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Their, their faith, the Philippians' faith, was growing and was increasing, and they saw that in the fruit of the Spirit, in the fruit of love and faith, which was seen in their partnership together with him to take the gospel beyond them. He had come to them, he had preached the gospel, they had received the gospel, they would heard his teaching, they would grown in their faith and in their knowledge of God, and continued that growth until now they were ready to start multiplying amongst the nations. And that's the same desire he has for the Corinthians. I've come to you, I am preaching the gospel, you should be growing in your faith and strengthened in your faith, and that way you will be able to glorify God. And his purpose to preach the gospel in the lands beyond them, as I just mentioned, you know, the Philippians funded his bringing the gospel to the Greeks. In fact, the Corinthians were in part funded by the Philippian church. And what is he looking for for them? Well, we find out in the book of Romans. Now, the book of Romans was written around the same time, a little after 2 Corinthians. And he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but have this far been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. <coughs> I'm ob under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, the wise and the foolish. Now, barbarians there means people who spoke languages that you didn't understand. That's not the modern meaning of barbarian, some kind of brutal savage like the ones who came and attacked Rome hundreds of years later. Uh, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, oh, for I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and the Greek. Romans 1, 13 through 16. The point is, his goal was to bring the gospel to Rome next. And beyond that, right, in chapter 15, as he's concluding the book, at both ends he talks about his desires and plans. He says, For I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to instruct one another. He's written them this letter because the gospel had been brought there through people who had been scattered from Jerusalem and people who were traveling as their business were bringing the gospel with them. And many of the, those in Rome had received it. Now we need to remember in that day, there were Jewish believers in the synagogues. And when they heard the news about Christ, they understood and put their faith and hope in Christ revealed that had been hidden, hidden and obscured and promised in the future in the Old Testament. And now they have received it. And so he's knowing that somebody else has laid the foundation there already. But anyway, he said they're able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've written you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in bringing the Gentiles to obedience, by word and by deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem, and all the way around Iliconium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now, this is what we're talking about in our passage today, this boasting. This is what he's boasting about. God has done this great work, and I have been an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. 
That is, those who, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul's appointment as the apostle to the Gentiles was to be the one who was laying the foundation. So he's not really going to spend his time in places where there's already a foundation. He wants to fulfill his ministry, his purpose, that he was called to do, which was to be the one who plants it where it's never been heard. Now, I've heard people quote that passage and their desire is to go somewhere new. But that often means they want to have their own empire. Uh, I remember a woman missionary using that as her excuse to have no men with her in the mission field, that she wanted to go where no one had been before and be a pastor herself, essentially. Well, he says, but for this reason also I have been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, you know, he had been through Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and modern-day Greece, and Macedonia, that whole area. He, he wants to continue on beyond those areas to Rome. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid for the saints from Macedonia and Achaia. I've been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. This is, we spoke about a few weeks ago, he was raising money and telling them, you know, get it all in order, get it all ready so that when I come, so that when I come, there's no scrambling as if you weren't willing to do it. So it's all connected in the time frame of a short period as he was preparing to go to Jerusalem where he would unfortunately be arrested or fortunately be arrested and sent to Rome and be able to preach the gospel protected by Roman centurions <laughs> so that the Jews would no longer be able to stone him or drive him out. For he says, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make contributions for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem, for they are pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them, for the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings. They ought to be of service to them in material blessings. And wherefore I have completed this and delivered it, what has been collected I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. That's Romans 15, 14 and following. I want to read that long passage because that was his plan and that's what he's hoping for and that's what he's calling on the Corinthians here to be, you know, to grow up your faith and be ready to be part of the church of Jesus Christ as a whole. Not just your little church and the, the one you want to follow and the doctrines of them. We are one kingdom of God and need to be working together. So that brings us to the core of the matter verse 15 I'm calling it 15b that passage that little bit that says about our faith or their faith that it be growing but our hope is that your faith increases note there's an assumption in here your faith is increasing that's what it should be doing Scripture teaches that about Christians. It's one of the universal truths that Paul is using to defend his ministry and the, God, the true gospel and to inspire people to become part of the kingdom of God, expanding the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God does not, not consist in somebody who sits at home and says they worship God alone in their home with their family. Now that's not, there may be times where that's the only thing you can do because there's no Christian, believing Christian church around. But normally we are part of the larger community of church, which is part of the larger community of Christ and working to further the kingdom of God. But that requires we grow our faith. Honestly, many people in many churches do not grow in faith. Consider the admonition to the Hebrews, where the author says, About this we have much to say, but it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. 
You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil, Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Now, one of the reasons for the failure of the church to grow, of people to grow, is given right there, unskilled in the word of righteousness. They do not spend the time reading the word. They do not spend the time studying the word. They do not spend time hearing godly teachers teach the whole counsel of God. And they continue with only having milk, never knowing how to eat solid food, never knowing how to grow near to God through the knowledge of him and the knowledge of righteousness proclaimed in Scripture. Uh, the Colossians who were in modern-day Turkey, Paul wrote concerning the, the philosophers who are troubling the people in Corinth as well. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, you know, their knowledge of God, their knowledge of the word, they're continuing to walk in the knowledge they have, rooted and built up in him, growing. You know, we can imagine a tree planted in the ground, the roots are building, the tree is growing, it is thriving. And that is how we were to walk in Christ. Uh, verse 8, this is Colossians 2. Verse 8, continuing, See to it that no one takes you captive, by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. Now, the problem is they're being taken captive by people who have clever ways of saying it, have desirable doctrines that are often fabricated or corrupted from the true gospel and the true doctrines of the, of the word. And by being taken captive by them, by being led astray by them, they do not grow because they have biblical ideas on the one hand and these false teachings on the other hand and the false teachings take over and prevent them from following the true teachings. Many people don't want to go to a faithful church because what they hear in the faithful church contradicts the things they love to hear from the unfaithful church. And they can never make that transition until they really break it completely. And breaking it completely, I mean, they know, they know now, you know, those people who are bringing these false teachings are the ones John was talking about. We shouldn't welcome, we shouldn't speak to, we shouldn't greet because of their sinful teachings. But until that time, they're being led astray. The danger of being led astray by philosophy and not growing was as very real in Paul's day as it is in our day. To the Ephesians, he wrote, let no one deceive you with empty words. Words of philosophy. He's already called them empty. For because of these things, the list of sins he'd given earlier, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be in partnership with them. Do not partner with them. Ephesians 5, 6, and 7. Paul wrote the same things in his letter to the Corinthians not to join with such people because it will stumble them in the race they are to run. Philosophy of paganism found in Greek and Rome and throughout the former Greek Empire and the, the Roman Empire of Paul's day, it was highly contrary to the sound teaching of the faith that Paul was presenting to the people. Very contrary to the teachings of Scripture. Uh, Paul makes it clear that that syncretism between the philo philosopher's worldview and wisdom and Christianity, which is called scholasticism, I know they're trying to rename scholasticism to have a new meaning that's good, but that syncretism, that merging together of the two to make a new whole better, is not going to lead to anything better. There's nothing we can add to the Bible to make the teaching of the Bible superior. When we add something to the Bible, we're adding the false teachings of the world and we're therefore corrupting the Bible and making it less useful and even useless in the end. And this is why their faith wasn't growing. This was the hindrance 
the enemy of the gospel in the early Christian church, and it continues to be to this day, as people want to bring the superior wisdom of man, the superior new ideas, and fix the teachings of the Bible. During the Reformation, when the power of the Catholic Church was broken, modernists arose. They wanted to modernize the Christian belief, not according to the old things written in the Bible, but according to the wisdom of the day, the wisdom of the Enlightenment. And that later became Arminianism. And a lot of their precious doctrines are really from the Enlightenment, not from the Bible. And so that joining of the wisdom of the world to the wisdom of God, that syncretism is highly destructive and keeps the people from growing and creates divisions in the church that don't need to be there. The Christians must have faith. They must have spiritual life and the, the, their faith in their life must be growing all the time. Peter says... For this very reason, to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly love. <coughs> For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter is also teaching the same thing. As individuals, we need to be improving our knowledge. As a church, corporately, we need to be improving our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ that we may be effective. As Paul is writing the Corinthians, some of them at least, were not effective and were not fruitful, but were really being the hindrance to the faith of others because they had been led astray from that pure devotion to Christ that Paul really wants for them. In fact, in chapter 2, we just read, uh, chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, we just read. But I want to read it again. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. I am afraid, as a servant deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a pure devotion to Christ. For someone comes and proclaims another Jesus and we proclaim or you receive a different spirit than you received, or you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. They were not following what Paul, what Peter, what Jude had said, what John said that you have nothing to do with them, that you don't welcome them. They were following them instead. Indeed, I consider them not least inferior to these super apostles, Paul says. Their problem was they were being a hindrance to God by their divisions and by following these false teachings and you know, making the church, instead of the church being about growing in the knowledge of God, it's about fighting off these false views. Tragic. For the church. Instead of being led astray, the Corinthians needed to be more like the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were commended by Paul, saying, We ought always to give thanks for you, brothers, as is right, because of your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of any one of you for one another is increasing. Second Thessalonians 1 3. Now, the, the topic of how to grow the faith is beyond what we can cover today, of course. But this need for the faith of the church and the faith of the people to grow is highly critical. The, the Christians needed to devote themselves, the Corinthians needed to devote themselves to a life and a walk which was pleasing to God. And the way we know it's pleasing to God is through the scriptures, through studying it, through knowing it. And the way we grow in that walk is to grow in our knowledge, as we've just read. Faith must grow for us individually at all times. Faith which is not growing is not alive, right? If you're alive, you're growing. If you stop growing, it's because you're dead. And our faith can be seen the same way. If we're not growing, we're not improving, it's questionable what our, what our faith is about. Helping us grow is a task God has given to 
is leaders in the church. In Ephesians 4, 11, we read, He, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. For what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Note that our unity is in faith and knowledge. There's no unity between knowledge of the truth and knowledge of lies, the faith in God and faith in these false teachings or false teachers. That's not where unity is. We need unity in knowing the same truths from the same word of God. And what's the purpose of this? Well, we're to continue this until we obtained that unity to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That, to me, speaks of the philosophers. It didn't reach its height until long after this, but in the sophists, they began to realize that if I can trick somebody, it's easier than if I persuade them of my superior wisdom. I trick them into believing the other person is bad and I'm good, that I have knowledge and they don't. And so you know, deceitful schemes became the norm, and that was really, the sophists were really the end of Greco-Roman philosophical religious view of that age. A man turned back to it several times after that, but for that, their, their deceitfulness was what ultimately led people to give up. So we shouldn't be, if we're mature in our faith, we won't be tossed around by those, that deceitfulness and winds and waves and schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, very important, both truth and love have to be there. We are to grow up in every way to him who is head of, into Christ, to whom the whole body joined together by every joint with which it is equipped, and each part working properly makes the party grow so that it builds itself up in love. That really leads us to the church, right? In the church, faith must be growing corporately. Not all churches start off with a pastor who knows everything. Right? No pastor ever really knows everything, but I mean, who knows it all well enough. You know, pastors are growing, the session is growing, the church is growing. The, the greatest example I know of this would be MacArthur's work for, what, decades, trying to bring his church around to understanding the truth. The church should be growing corporately. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul is making that point. In this particular passage, that's really the point. The faith needs to mature. As they mature in their faith, they'll turn away from the false teachers and the false apostles, and then they will seek to be partners with the true church. When their faith is more mature, they'll be partners with Paul and his work as he plans to go to Spain. We don't know whether he really made it there. He was released and he did minister, and he may have made it that far. The details are not in scripture. But at the current time, they are not able to partner with him in any way, especially financially. He, he writes to them in chapter 11, which we read this morning. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from being a burden in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the region of Achaia. So one of the things he was boasting in is that now, I am not here to fleece the flock. Other people are sending me money. And at one point, he was working with his own hands, making tents to supply the funds. That was one of the boasts. I am not fleecing you. I am here to bring you the true gospel of Christ. And his hope was that they would you know, mature and understand that and turn away from these false teachers 
and become his fellow workers in the kingdom of Christ for the advancement of the gospel to new and unreached areas. John wrote in 3 John, we read his condemnation, but he, he says also positively, beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in your efforts for these brothers, speaking of the traveling ministers, strangers as they are, who testified to you, to your love before the church. So they had gone out preaching, teaching, and helping people and helping explain things better and bring the doctrines that John had been teaching them. I think John is an apostle who's teaching people who are then going out and teaching people. So he said, they have testified of your love before the church. They come back and say, you know, these people here received the teaching, loved us, cared for us, fed us, and gave us the opportunity to further their understanding of the word. And it says, and you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. That was Paul's hope for the Corinthians, that they would stop being distracted by these false teachers in their self-glorying and be focused on God and his word and joining with the kingdom of God and expanding the kingdom of God. And I think that's a hope that we should all have for the church, that a church grows in its faith. I don't know if you've ever been in a church where you felt like you were an unwelcomed outsider. <coughs> I remember there was a, a Christian deck of those little comic cards. And one of the comics was you know, the, the, um, what the strangers and outsiders class will be meeting downstairs in the boiler room. <laughs> I remember going to a church once where there were just scattered people here and there. And then there was this little block in one quarter, corner, a quarter of the church, filled with young people and new people. And when I made the mistake of sitting up further and basically being rebuked for sitting in somebody's seat, I realized that you know, it was okay for outsiders to come, but sit in the outsider section, please. Don't take anybody's seat. You know, that's a church that's very immature in the faith. They're not reaching their community because when you go there, you feel alienated immediately. As opposed to my home church back in the day when I was saved, where it's like, oh, you're an outsider. Hey, brother. You know, hey, friend, come here. Let me get you coffee. Let me show you what we're doing. You know, they had this desire to reach because they were very mature because their pastor of 30-something years was a very godly, sound pastor who preached the whole counsel of God without fail and sought the growth of his church. And the people grew spiritually and the body grew spiritually. And there's a very different reception between churches. And so we should look to grow the church and to grow the church, we grow ourselves first and seek the glory of the kingdom of God as soldiers in his kingdom, not as you know, innocent bystanders being carried along, but working to grow our faith and to grow the faith of the church. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Paul's reminder here through his boasting as he tries to uh, reclaim the glory of the kingdom of God from these false teachers and remind them of the things they should know and the things they should do and of his hope for them for the future that they would be mature and supporting the truth of the kingdom of God. We hope, Lord, and pray that we will be pleasing to you in our doing of these things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.